You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. So whether the market is doing gangbusters or looking more like a dumpster fire, a good, well-rounded stock portfolio is necessary for any investor. Robinhood is a platform that aims to democratize finance for everybody. Robinhood believes everyone should have access to financial markets, so what they did was they built their system from the ground up to make investing friendly, approachable, and understandable for newcomers and experts alike. What I love about Robinhood is that you don't need an account minimum to start. There are zero fees for trading, and you can even purchase cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. Join today by tapping the link in the show notes to get a free stock. It's just like that. I mean, it's just free, just for signing up. And this free stock can be anything from SiriusXM to Apple or any of the other thousands of other publicly traded companies just like that. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. So go get your free stock today by checking out that Robinhood link in the show notes today. Real fast, let me go ahead and tell you about Inbox Dollars. Are you looking for a side hustle so easy you could do it while sitting on the toilet or in between commercials watching your favorite show? Unless you're like on demand and commercials are like an ancient thing to you. Hear me out. Inbox Dollars has your back. For 20 years, Inbox Dollars has paid over $59 million in cash rewards to its members for doing everyday online activities such as reading emails, taking online surveys, playing games, and watching videos and TV. They also have ongoing promos and contests for members to win money online. And they share the top ways for people to get beauty samples, free printable coupons, and other free online stuff. With so many easy ways to earn extra cash online and having fun in the process, it's no wonder Forbes, Mashable, Bustle, and so many other trusted outlets name Inbox Dollars the easiest and fastest way to earn money online. If you're looking for a way to influence future products and services while getting paid at the same time, then Inbox Dollars is for you. Click the special link in the show notes of this episode today and get $5 just for signing up. Get this $5 signing bonus just for creating an account. That's Inbox Dollars. The link is in the show notes of today's episode. Get it, get your $5, and get started. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. All right, Chloe, I've got a joke for you. I've been working on it all day, so if it sucks, lie to me so I feel better. You ready? <laughs> okay, I can do that. Okay, what do you call someone on so on uh, Twitter? Well, yeah, let's say Twitter or Instagram. Twitter or Instagram that calls themselves a social media influencer. Uh, I don't know what. Unemployed. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty accurate. That sounded a little bit genuine. I, I put something I put something else on that like that the other day on Facebook. I said if I see political consultant on LinkedIn, you're most likely unemployed. And you know, right now it's it's funny because I'm hearing people, you know, that can't get campaign jobs because they can't do anything. Because unless your campaign existed solely online, ain't no one knocking doors, ain't no one asking for money. I still get the fundraising letters and stuff, but that's neither here nor there. Chloe, how you doing? I'm well. How are you, friend? Cannot complain. So we've got a fun topic today because it's something I've wanted to talk to you about for a while. So I thought, let's go ahead and do an episode about this. You've been 
a trendsetter in many ways before many people thought that it was obtainable for people outside of Bernie Sanders' most hated 1% to telework and work from home and to go ahead and live life by their own deals and everything else. You were doing that for years. What made you want to go ahead and start, you know, essentially traveling, working more on your own terms and not in the dreaded office cubicle farm that the rest of us have had to endure pre-COVID-19? Yeah, so good caveat to that is pre-COVID-19. I'm very fortunate that I did not have any trips or anything planned in 2020. Um, Otherwise, I would not have been traveling as much. But but really, Remzo, it's just been about the freedom and the freedom to travel, the freedom to work when I want, when inspiration hits. Um, And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about political consultants or social media influencers. And the people that flex online often are the ones who aren't busy with client work. So all they're trying to do is build their own personal brand or just flex for the gram, right? Yeah. And it's it's very annoying to me as, as someone who does marketing and PR consulting um, and content creation full time because I can see right through it, but I don't think a lot of other people do. Um, but ultimately, my goal was to work as much as possible, figure out in, you know, the regular nine to five in the regular office life, you know, how things work, how to deal with clients, how to manage clients, how to manage their expectations, and then just do it on my own. Um, And that's really what I've been doing the last couple of years, um, taking on the projects that I want when I want and traveling the world. And it's been wonderful. And, And you bring up something which is just so critical. I'm not telling anyone anything they don't already know, but social media offers basically the completely edited, completely false image of what people want to go ahead and project. And when it comes to content creators, the thing is, and I I'm sorry if I'm the one bursting your bubble, folks. Those people aren't just making money each time they post a photo. Those people aren't just making money each time they upload a video or a podcast. Some do, but the overwhelming majority aren't. And the ones that are able to do that, they're not just making income from those sources alone. What they have to do is they have to go ahead and separate out their different skills and leverage that to different communities, whether it's through copywriting, video editing, voiceover work. I mean, the the whole the whole gambit is out there, but it's a lot of things that maybe 10, 20 years ago weren't accessible. Now you can go ahead and start a side gig on Fiverr. So that way you don't have to go ahead and deliver food or drive strangers around in your car. And correct me if I'm wrong, Chloe, but I strongly think that post COVID economy, America is going to bring two very big changes. One, a lot more people who are in the middle class who were already working primarily just from a computer or their laptop, they're going to get to work from home permanently. And secondly, and this might be seen as a negative for many people, I also see the speeding up automation. So if you were a bagger, if you were a driver, if you were like right now in in my area, we have robots delivering food now. It's insane. If you were doing menial, you know, very basic minimum wage stuff, the robots, if they were, if they were crawling towards you, they're, they're hurdling themselves towards you now. 
Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think you're going to see a lot of people post-COVID-19 who, if they already could work from home, they're going to stay permanently or they're going to be a a glorified freelancer full-time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think you are going to see a little bit more automation. I mean, we already have here in the Midwest a lot of um, you know, automatic checkout at grocery stores and things like that. But I think you're going to see a little bit more of it, or at least contactless delivery, um, especially with Amazon, just because a lot of people, I think, still are very afraid of the pandemic, of the virus, and of just getting sick in general, right? Um, so I think that that's going to change the future of work moving forward. Yeah, I mean the the one thing that I think a lot of people are kind of ignoring, and, and I'll say I'll say some, but like a lot of right wing economists, they keep saying what I truly believe, which is let people go back to work and let what was the booming economy go ahead and just keep booming. But what we don't take into account is the fact that this has really traumatized a lot of people, and things are not going to be the same. While many of us. And, you know, I find myself strangely in this camp. I want to go out and socialize with people. I want to go back to movie theaters. I'm a big cinema buff. I want to go back and pay for my overpriced popcorn and soda and sit in front of a movie with strangers in a room that kind of smells. I kind of miss that. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people just aren't going to do that, not because they've gotten used to it, but because they want to, but they don't want to risk you know, a second wave. And we got people like fascist Fauci that's going around screaming, it's going to happen again and again and again, and we should just live inside our basements forever. So I think that irregardless as to what, how badly a lot of us want to go back to work, I mean, things have, things have changed. Um, you know, it only takes two weeks to create a new habit. It's been, it's been three months. And for me, it was four months because everyone at work thought I was patient zero. So they sent me home <laughs> almost immediately. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. It was hard. It was hard enough. I mean, even being a remote employee, it's not like I'm and and this is something that's kind of kind of stereotyped um with my work situation at least is that a lot of folks think that just because I'm a remote employee that means I never leave the house and that's usually the opposite of what's true, right? Like I meet clients for lunch, I will meet clients for coffee, I'm constantly on the phone. I travel between, I, well, pre-COVID-19, I would travel between northern Indiana um, and central Indiana. Oftentimes, I'd be flying to D.C. I was supposed to go to California this year. I mean, I have clients all over the place, and it's like, well, now, fortunately, I know how to use technology like Zoom, Slack, uh, Google Hangout, whatever. And it's like, well, I'm kind of pigeonholed in, in my basement, in my, in my apartment, I guess. Uh, and it's, it's hard to do my job or at least go out and do the things that I want to do to better serve my clients. Um, whether that's, whether that's, you know, company, uh, accompanying them on video shoots or photo shoots or, or helping with content creation. Um, it's been, it's been very difficult, even though I am a remote employee. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's just very sad, the state of our world right now in terms of people being afraid. And I totally get it. Like, I don't, I don't want to get coronavirus. I don't think anybody does. But sometimes- I, I, I Actually, no, I'm going to disagree. Yeah. I wish I could catch it. You, you do? I, I want it so I don't have to worry about catching it. Later. See, I was just going to say that. It's like, should we just go ahead, like the young people like us, should we just go ahead and get it and deal with it at home yeah, and COVID then have immunity? Chicken pox parties. Right. It's, but 
but I don't know. But again, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's worth it. If some of us have to die so I can, I can go back to normal. I think I'm willing to sacrifice some other people. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm completely joking about that, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's at that point where it's like, I, I'm dead serious. I almost wish I could catch it now. So that way I don't have to worry about it. But this, this whole situation has been kind of weird. My job so in the newsroom, and I still kind of say this, even though I do like working from home and uh, not, not to get into too many details, but it looks like I'll be permanently working from home, even when things go back to normal. Um, sure. I liked being in the newsroom. I liked being able to run ideas off of my other coworkers next to me. I, if something happened, I liked being there immediately and I don't like the delay that technology gives us because even as fast as everything is, there's still that delay that you can't get in, you know, an otherwise typical office space. And, you know, it's like the best of both worlds to a certain degree, because after college, I tried to, you know, become a a freelance copywriter and editor and other stuff from home. But for me, the one thing I realized was that, you know, I'm not, I'm even though I consider myself an entrepreneurial minded person, I still like the stability of a, you know, of a full-time earned income by being an employee. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So now it's like I get the best of both worlds because I still can work from home full time for somebody else and I can go ahead and work on my other side gigs and it's it's okay. So I think for many people, they're going to get this opportunity. The, the one thing that does worry me though is that a lot of folks, you know, they're going to get the, the thing now is that if you were not working on a global mindset before and your job was in an office space, now since people are going to start looking at the balance sheets and looking at the budgets, now you're competing with people that work remotely on a global scale. I don't think many oh, people absolutely. really understand that. They don't understand that. And the other thing that, that kind of irks me is that I got into Twitter fight, as I usually do with progressives. Um, <laughs> this was pre-COVID fun, fun, pre-COVID-19, but I had some rude woman say something to the effect of, oh, well, you run a consultancy out of your house. And she tried to like throw me under the bus for it or like ding me for it as if. That's almost like a compliment. Right. And it's like, yeah, I live the American dream. I work from home. I set my own hours and I have no overhead of renting an office for my employees to come and sit around and and just kind of BS all day, right? So it's like, what like what are you talking about? I'm living the American dream, right? And I think a lot of agencies, at least kind of in our field, in terms of like news publishing, marketing, um, and PR, a lot of folks are going to realize that they need to trim the fat somewhere. And I think they're going to do that with office space and um, just really kind of dumb things. Like I worked for a company at one point that had a an account over at a local coffee shop. I mean, it was nice because we could go and get a latte whenever we wanted, but it's like, dude, you're spending at least $2,000 a month for your employees to go get coffee. Like, why are you spending your profits that way? I don't know. I just think it's dumb. So I agree with you. I think a lot of freelancers or people who work remotely are going to be in a much better position post COVID-19. What, was this lifestyle something that you wanted to do straight out of the bat, or was it something that you kind of discovered over time, you know, going into adulthood and everything? Yeah, I mean, I worked, I worked for a couple different agencies um, in-house for about a year and a half, and it really wasn't until I got much more involved in politics in 2016. I had to move down to San Antonio for a contract, um, and then I bounced back and forth between 
Texas, New York, and Indianapolis um, and realized that, oh my gosh, like the majority of the work that I'm doing, I can just do from my phone in an airport, right? Um, and pretty much every election year, if I've had candidates that are running for office, most of them aren't even in Indiana where I'm based out of full-time, right? Or at least where I have a full-time residence, right? Like I'm, I'm a citizen of the world, but technically a citizen of Indianapolis, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was one thing that I discovered was something I did not like to a certain degree, because I I feel like there are two types of political consultants. They're the ones that kind of jump into just the candidate train. And then you have the ones that end up working for like a state or local party. And, you know, there's a split difference between the ones that work for candidates. They're more likely to end up sleeping in their car, sleeping in someone's basement or couch crashing. They're, They're constantly having to travel because, when you're doing that, I mean, you have to jump on clients because other political consultants are cutthroat. Then you have the ones that end up working for like a state party and, you know, the the state affiliate is paying for their hotel room and they're releasing them out of car and stuff. It's, it's two very different lifestyles. And what I learned was, you know, one's going to involve a lot of traveling, but it'll be a bit more comfortable. Then one's going to offer me probably more money, especially if you jump on primary campaign, but you're going to be living very uncomfortably. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I went to, I went to the hospital. I went to the ER after election night on 2016 because I was one super burned out and two so dehydrated that I couldn't even tell the paramedics my name. Like it, like it was that bad. I I never want to work. And I think I've told you this before, but I never want to work that hard again. But, you know, I paid my dues. I did what I needed to do to, you know, kind of climb up that ladder. Um, But to kind of circle back to your original question, I didn't know that being a digital nomad, being a remote employee was even feasible. Right. And I, and you know, something people really don't understand. No, no. If you ask my parents, they have absolutely no idea what I do for a living. (laughs) They don't, they really don't. My mom will always be like, do you, are you okay? Like, do you need money? It's like, mom, do you need money? Like, well, like I'm fine. Like, (laughs) like what's going on. And, um, it's, it's cute because my, my mom asked me the other day, she's like, so how's your like business thing going? And I'm like, mom, it's not like I'm selling like makeup out of the trunk of my car or anything, or, you know, like I'm not like a Mary Kay lady or an Avon. It's almost like they would respect you, know? you more if you were selling crack. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be an entrepreneur in their eyes. Cause like you have, it's so hard to like, uh, to market digital services, right. Or because it's not like a tangible product. It's not something that you can physically see or touch unless you have a book or a pamphlet or a yard sign or something, right? Like you're selling ideas to people. Um, and I think that's very hard to, to, to kind of understand, but you even look at Mad Men. Like I love that AMC show. Oh oh my gosh, the absolute best show ever. And that's all they were doing was selling ideas. Now, most of the time they had products behind them. So it was a little bit easier to understand, but when you're doing things for nonprofits or public figures or politicians, that's even more difficult, you know? I think one of the reasons why I always wanted to eventually get into the marketing side of the world was because I thought I'd be surrounded by women who were like Christina Hendricks. That bugs the <laughs> living hell out of my girlfriends, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that for me, at least, I understood that even if I can't get a job or start a business or career doing that out of the bat, I at least need to have the skills for it. 
And right now, what I've noticed is that I set myself up in a way where I have the skills that don't need me fixed to a office. I can do this from home. And it's allowed me to go ahead and take advantage of a global economy in ways that a lot of people don't understand. Because what I, you know, my full-time job, for those of you listening who don't know, I'm a social media coordinator for a big newspaper. But I also have a side business as a copywriter. So I'll write advertising copy and uh, emails and newsletters and stuff like that for small and mid-range businesses. And I've had clients from India, Taiwan, the Philippines, Australia, Mexico, and Canada. And it's incredible because I think the one thing that, you know, having these soft skills working on a global scale has taught me is that you're not just competing with the people within a 30 mile radius or within a tri-state area or region or what have you in a traditional business sense. I'm competing for the, you know, for, for the contract from people all over the world. And that takes you from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance, which is both really awesome, but it's also really terrifying in a way. And I almost feel like I'm lucky because I understood this almost at the right time. And a lot of people are going to get smacked in the face when they try and understand it for the first time, especially right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things that kind of frustrates me, at least in this space, is that there are so many people who think that they can only take clients or they can only do jobs that are in their zip code. And that is totally not true. Totally not true. The majority of my clients aren't even in Indiana. You know, you know what I mean? And it's like, and to your point, most of the people that I work with, you know, it is, it, it just transcends continents. It transcends, you know, language barriers, cultural differences. When, when you do good work, that speaks for itself. And I don't think enough people, maybe, maybe our age, are you a millennial? I always forget. Early yeah, I'm, I'm part, I'm part of the damn generation. I'm 25. Yeah. What does that, what does that count as? Okay. So you're, you're, we're both millennials then, but I okay. think, so I we're think, part of the we're part of the bastard crew. Gotcha. Yeah, we're we're just horrible people. Horrible. I think oh, the worst. I think elder millennials um, have a little bit harder time with that, but I think Gen Z has it completely figured out. I mean, they they grew up already knowing that they can curse out their friends on video in video games who are playing in South Korea and stuff. For oh, for, for them, sure. like they truly live borderless, and borderless is not just you know a, a, a fuzzy term I throw out there. I'm pretty sure I called you like six months ago about something we were working on and you were like, oh, I, I just woke up. I'm like, you just woke up. It's like four in the afternoon. Then you're like, oh, I'm in Israel. And I'm like, what are you doing there? <laughs> yeah. Like that is I'm the so one sorry. thing that I like. That is the one thing. The one thing that I've really been thinking of now, especially as like living right, right outside D.C., like I can't live here very long especially if I, even if I got a good raise or something, I've got to be able to move somewhere where I can leverage the level of income I'm making. And when I look at that, I'm thinking, you know, maybe further down South, I've been looking at Texas a lot. And then I've been getting like these wild 3am fever dreams where it's like, you know, maybe I can go to like Mexico or Belize, go to a, you know, a a first world yet developing nation where the dollar is still going to get me a whole lot out of it. Um, okay. So I will tell you what, one, Indiana welcomes you with open arms. Come be my neighbor. Uh, the cost of living is very, very inexpensive and you can get a really nice starter home for $50,000. 
Holy in, crap. Like outside that, of Indianapolis. There, I'm not there, even there kidding. There are townhouses and duplexes here that are more than that. That's insane. Because the one thing I've really been trying yeah. to do is I want to be able to pay for some some property and cash. I could I could theoretically do that at that rate. Get a freaking oh, absolutely. It is so inexpensive here. And get this. So when I was in, so I was in Israel um, and Jordan for like maybe two months last year. Um, and then in January, I spent some time with some friends in Medellin, Colombia. I'll tell you what, Colombia is absolutely beautiful. The people are fantastic. The food is delicious. And you could make 30,000 US and have a top floor penthouse and a chef and a private security officer, like your own like private security for 30,000 US. Like as your salary, you know what I mean. That, that, that is Latin true. America is where it's at, man. It really is. Uh, I mean, just throwing those numbers out there. The the one thing that I okay, I think the one thing that I had to escape was this certain libertarian mindset of jump into crypto and jump into just gold and stuff like that because the dollar is constantly inflating. I think for a lot of people that think like us, what we need to remember is that yeah, even though amongst our neighbors the current value of our money supply is going down the toilet constantly and the interest rate on savings accounts is a joke, but like we're still good compared to like 99% of the world. If I don't want to live here and I have the ability to literally go elsewhere, it shouldn't be outside the realm of possibility. No, absolutely not. And that's the thing. I mean, when I really started this journey in 2018, um, I truly lived without a permanent address. Like I just kept my stuff in my parents' house and just like bummed on friends' couches and just went wherever. Because one, I didn't want to pay rent. I was really tired of paying Indianapolis rent. So you could just pocket that money. Yeah. So I saved a ton of money and just kept stuff at my parents' house. And when I was in between friends' couches or in between trips to Europe, or I was mainly in Europe in 2018, but I said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to live the way I want to. And it's absolutely ridiculous how inexpensive it is outside of the U.S., especially when you're outside of like the D.C. kind of like metro area. It's just so expensive. Same with New York. Um, but in certain parts of Europe, it's very inexpensive. And I mean, same in all of Latin America and South America. I mean, you and, and Israel to an extent, it kind of depends on where you stay um, in the Middle East, but it's relatively cheap to, to kind of live that lifestyle as long as you live pretty inexpensively when you're in your home country, right? The, so, the one thing that I really want to emphasize, though, is that, I mean, for what you do, all you really need is a laptop, maybe a few other devices like your phone and access to the internet. Right? Yeah, that's it. And, and I have a nice camera and like a GoPro. That's it. That's yeah. all I need. <laughs> the, you have skills that are they're, they're soft skills. Like they're not hard skills, like, you know, a plumber, a welder or something. I think this is something that, you know, I, the, the whole rant is, oh, college set us up for failure, go learn to weld and stuff. I think the one thing that a lot of people really look down upon, not necessarily because they genuinely don't agree with it, but because they don't understand it are soft skills. The one thing that a lot of, uh, you know, like, our, our interns at the times, they'll ask us is like, what, what classes do you think I should take? Do you think I should continue, you know, studying journalism? And the one thing I tell them is, listen, irregardless as to what you graduate with, be a good writer, 
be a good yes. communicator. We have such a de-emphasis on certain more liberal arts skills. But if you can write really well and if you can communicate really well, whether you're going into journalism or marketing or business, everything you do, you're constantly going to have to pitch yourself. So having good communication skills is incredibly key. That and learning to code yeah. <laughs> is very helpful. I, I have not really dealt or been around um, too many journalism students. And I, I did uh, study journalism in TCOM and undergrad, but that's the one thing that I wish I would have taken more classes if I had the opportunity to go back is computer science. I mean, it is ridiculous the amount of code that I had to teach myself uh, because I didn't learn that in J school and how often I use that every single day with my clients. It's insane. Yeah, because it's not, it, it, people don't appreciate that until they're in need of it. Because, you know, I, I say, I say that anybody can do copywriting, but not everybody can do it well. I mean, I think that could be applied to most things, but I think it's insane. I'm not, I don't, I don't jip my customers. I give them very fair prices, but I'll have people like, okay, here, here's an example. I worked with a nail salon out of, out of Ohio. Uh, Toledo, Ohio. And it was a first generation immigrant family. They barely spoke English. So they were paying me to basically write all of their advertising copy. I was doing all the writing and translations on their website. They would give me the idea, but you know, I don't speak whatever language they spoke. They barely understand English. So I was making a good amount of money working with people that I've never met face to face. And yeah. this, this is the one thing that helped me when I was working with candidates, because here's a here's some demystification of the political consultant class, folks. There's not one generic skill a political consultant has. I think the one trade skill that I had that made me effective was that I was a good communicator. I can write emails. I can write speeches. I can help demystify policy. That is what kept me employed. It wasn't anything else. It was just my ability to write, demystify, declutter, and communicate. And that is something that has allowed me to eventually transition into skills that are good with my job now, because all social media is, is mass communication. Well, and I think the other thing too, Ramso, that helps you is that you understand technology and you understand social media. And I cannot tell you the number of political candidates who don't really understand either thing. And I mean, look at for example, Indiana, our primary was pushed from May to June 2nd. And none of my candidates can go out and walk door to door in the more rural areas that they're running in, right? So they can't depend on going door to door. They, I mean, they can do some direct mail, but even then, depending on what data you have, they don't know if all of that information is accurate. But the one thing that they can do is run ads, on digital media. They can be really good at social media. And that's the one thing that I wish more businesses, more nonprofits, more, I mean, anybody who has any type of digital presence or who wants to get in front of their customers or their donors or their supporters, that's what they need to understand is that in a pandemic, um, the only way that you can communicate with people is digitally and on social media or email or, um, you know, maybe phone calls, but even then, you know, who uses a cell phone anymore for anything other than Twitter? Not me. Um, so I feel that's... like people are almost <laughs> offended when I try and call them. Oh, I am for sure. Stop <laughs> calling me. I hate it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm on I'm on Udemy.com right now. And for folks that don't know Udemy, Udemy is going to be your friend. They're not paying me to say this, but I, I'm taking courses on Udemy. I always do because you can get like $200 courses made by professionals for like 10 bucks. And I'm looking at their categories right now. One of their top selling categories is office productivity. So I tapped on that. And what is office productivity? Microsoft Excel for beginners. Oh, your PowerPoint for beginners. Google. MacBook products, SAP, Apple, Oracle. It's all these things to basically just understand how to utilize the technology you have. And I knew about this recently because I met some recent college grads. They were taking some Udemy courses and I was like, what are you learning? It's like, um, I'm learning Google Analytics 101. And I'm like, that is some arcane stuff. But it's amazing because I consider myself a very technologically illiterate person, but I utilize technology for a living. And it it was one of those things where I I had to make a gamble when I left political consulting. It was either go learn a hard skill, a hard trade, such as welding or something, or start developing these soft skills. And I think a lot of people older than me, not necessarily my parents, but a lot of other folks were like, why are you learning that? People already know that. Well, the more you find out, the more you know, people really don't know any of that. No, no, absolutely not. No. And I can't tell you the number of people who don't understand that if you don't have a Google Analytics account, you don't know who necessarily is coming to your website or your store, or, you know, your online boutique or whatever it is. Um, and that's how you like figure out if you should run ads or not. You know what I mean? Like there's all of these different layers to marketing and communications that a lot of folks, I don't think they'll understand necessarily in high school or maybe even in college because it's, it takes too long to write the course. It takes too long to write the textbook. And even by the time you do it, it, it's constantly changing. Now, I I would say the one thing about copywriting is that the principles of copywriting don't change, only the medium. Exactly. Yes. You're very right. So, I mean, other than that, I've spoken a lot about copywriting because that's, that's all I really know. And it's the only thing that's been able to save me over time. What are some of the other skills that, you know, make it possible to, to do what you do? I think time management is another really big one. Um, I mean, you, you know me, I sleep probably nine to 10 hours a night and I never feel bad about it. One, because I need the sleep, but two, because I'm most productive from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. And that's when I get the majority of my work done. Headphones on, phones on, airplane mode, and I just crank everything out. Um, And I think something else that's really important too is learning how to delegate. So I have three part-time employees Um, if I can't get something done, I shoot it over to them or, you know, they have their own dedicated client tasks that they get done. I quality control the project and then send it off. Right. So I think it's knowing where your, it's time management, but also knowing where your strengths and weaknesses are so that you can delegate tasks as they come in. I'm not the best developer or the best like coder. But if I need to make a website, I'll make a website. But ultimately, I know that I have employees or even vendors out there that I've worked with in the past that can do it better, right? Yeah. 
And so it's, it's hard to realize, though. It really is. Yeah. And I mean, that that brings up something that a lot of people are learning right now. It's that when you're working from home, the only thing you have to justify you doing so, given the option, now no one really has the option, is proof of work. And it's been it's been incredible to see the team of people I work with continue to be as efficient, if not more efficient, since this whole thing started. I don't think we've had a, you know, a skip or a hiccup at all so far, but I have some friends and this may or may not surprise some people who are in the public sector. And they said that people have either downgraded their efficiency or they're just meeting the minimum standards of what they would usually complete during their day. And I'd say that that makes it even more stressful because, you know, when you work with people that you haven't met necessarily, and they're maybe halfway across the country around the world, all you have is their word in the product. So yep. if you can't do that, you can't do that. You can sit in an office for eight to nine hours a day. And, and what, what, what I think what the statistics are like, you're only efficient for like three to four hours and the rest of it is just wasting time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it, shocks, it shocks the living hell out of me with that. But, you know, given, given, the states right, given the stakes right now, I think a lot of people are gonna have to really assess that because this is either gonna be something that's great for people long-term, especially for people who are unemployed and they can't go back to their jobs or they figured, hey, I, I need to do something different. This is the make it or break it period. It really is. And, and it's also the, you know, you can't just screw around and expect, like, that's the one thing that I really hated about going into the office is that I knew I was wasting four hours of time because I was burned out on BS meetings or, oh, it's Susie's birthday. Let's go and sing her a song. And okay, great. There's cupcakes, but I'm on a diet and I don't want to take part in this tomfoolery, right? Like it's fine for like 15 minutes. And then after that, it's like, okay, like I'm done. Let's like, let me go and finish this project. Right. So I think that you're going to have a lot of people who are going to realize that they can't one, they can't get away with wasting all the time or that they typically used to before COVID-19 when they were in the office full time or two, they're, they're going to have a really rude awakening and they're going to have to figure out, okay, how do I prove my value now? And some of them are going to get figured out. And you and I know very well that most people in our kind of space are very good bullshitters. And um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I even look at some of my clients that before they started working with me, they had a snake oil salesman who was promising that, oh, I can, I can make your, your website for you and I can run your ads and I can get you listed on the first page of Google. And it's like, okay, that's great. But <laughs> they uh, they sell snake oil at the end of the day, and they don't have those set, those soft skills or those technical skills to do that. Oh, I mean, yeah, um, you paid them eight hours worth of stuff for something they did in fifteen minutes, if that. Sure, absolutely, and it happens all the time, and it's so sad because a lot of these folks are are small businesses that I talk to, um, and they just get the the rug pulled out from them, and they just completely get screwed over by people who act like they know what they're doing in the copywriting or in the ad or the, the, you know, creative space. And that just, it's always sad, but I'm, you know, I'm also here to educate too when people have questions. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I definitely realized was I thought, you know, I've been published out a lot of places. I've got a big portfolio. I've had two books, one of which was a bestseller. I should be charging more than I am. But the thing about people, especially for like mom and pop businesses and stuff like that, they might recognize that you're probably worth more, 
but they only have like 40, 50 bucks on hand for something they need just a quick turnaround of that they might have to spruce up themselves. And I, I know for some people in my position, they were like, well, I'm not working for anybody that won't at least meet my minimum standard of like two, $300. I'll write copy for people for as low as five bucks. For the nail salon, it was like, you know, I'd have to write like a full paragraph and I'm not going to charge them an arm and a leg for that. But the thing that I also learned was, you know, that abundance mindset, the fact that I'm working on global economy. What if I have a whole bunch of clients, like 10 or 20, the workload is manageable and they're all paying me, you know, a a smaller sum for different projects. I'm making a lot and I'm also instilling a lot of goodwill in my clients. And then those people, some of them I've been working with for, you know, uh, six months to a year on that. When I needed work again, I just reached out to them and they were more than happy to, you know, give me stuff that maybe they didn't want to pay for, but they liked keeping me, you know, within arm's distance digitally. So that way they can grab me if they needed me. Absolutely. And then they recommend you to their friends or other small business owners, or, I mean, the possibilities are endless, right? Like you never want to burn a bridge. And even if that means taking on a couple clients who, eh, you know, they may be, they may not be able to pay your full rate or your goal, your going rate, but ultimately I think it comes down to building that relationship. Um, and I, I don't think there's ever anything wrong with that. You know, I've, I mean, I've done it. I know a lot of other people in my field who have taken on clients that eh, maybe they shouldn't, maybe they shouldn't have, you know, taken them on. Maybe they couldn't pay what necessarily you're, you were worth, but it was a small project. And ultimately, you know, my background is small business. I'm second generation American. And I know that, you know, with the value of a small businesses, especially to a lot of folks who unfortunately are losing them right now because of the government, but it is it is what it is uh, with this whole COVID-19 mess. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest thing was, you know, I, this is a side gig. I'm not depending on this. Any dollar is a good earned dollar that I could put towards investments or something else. I'm, I'm in a good position. But, but I am curious, um, what, for people that want to go ahead and they're thinking, okay, I want to spend, like, let's say more time with my kids, or I want to travel more often, or I just want to be able to roll out of bed and start immediately working without having to awkwardly say hi to people in the office I don't like. Do you think the best path forward for them is to develop skills needed for people who could typically work anywhere they want, or to kind of jump the shark and go the entrepreneurial route and really try and become their own boss. Because I think I've had it both ways. And what I like doing, and this is just for me, folks, some of you are probably more adventurous than me, but I like having, I I like having people. I kind of like having a boss to a degree, call me someone with an employee mindset. But, you know, I do that because that brings me stability, which brings me peace of mind and a matching 401k. But I can also have a couple side businesses at the same time. And I could do this in my basement or within, and when things go back to normal, I could do this at Starbucks or I could, I, could, I could go on the road and do this, you know, just work my hours and then travel, go literally do anything. Which is the path that you think people should consider more so than other? I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, and Pre-COVID-19, I would have said jump into the entrepreneurial route, but now that a lot of people's livelihoods have been compromised or they've been laid off or they've been furloughed, um, you know, I think those people, I mean, why not jump the entrepreneurial route, take a few online courses, um, get a few certifications, build up your network and maybe start freelancing, whether that be copywriting, website development, running ads, 
um, photography. I mean, it, there's a whole lot of different things that you can do digitally, uh, right? But then uh, along with that, I think oh there's... Oh my gosh, one, one second, transcribing. People, you do not understand how much money you can make from transcribing video or audio. <gasps> oh my gosh, it's there insane. Is such, that was the one skill I had that literally kept me like kept my neck above water when I couldn't do anything else. And it's not hard folks. It just takes a little bit of time and a whole lot of patience. But if you need money right now, you can transcribe stuff for a lot of money. It's, it's so needed, especially for the folks who are deaf or hard of hearing, like any type of Facebook video that you see out there, YouTube videos with captions. I mean, it is definitely needed product reviewers taking surveys. I've never had a lot of luck with surveys, but I do know of some folks who have done it before. But I mean, you know, if you also are in a space where you have a job that can be done remotely, maybe it's negotiating with your supervisor or your boss and saying, hey, you know, I am so used to, because of COVID-19, I'm so used to working from home. Can I work from home, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday? And just go into the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays or something like that. And with me, a lot of it was working the, the full-time job so I could have that safety net, so I could still build those skills and having my business on the side. Um, and I really just got to the point where I was making um, so much with my side business and I really loved the freedom that I said, you know what, screw it, I'm done. Um, and I stepped away from my nine to five earlier this year um, and really haven't looked back. Uh, so I think that it, it takes a certain amount of hustle and grit and determination, but I also live in a very inexpensive part of the country. <laughs> um, so I, I think, you know, you really have to be financially pretty sound before you go ahead and do something like that too. Um, it really just kind of depends on your finances, your goals, how hard you're willing to work and the people you surround yourself with too. Um, I'm really fortunate that my husband-to-be has a fantastic job with great benefits. And when we get married later this year, I can get on his insurance, right? Um, so that's something to keep into consideration too, is that if you have a, a spouse or a partner that, you know, you can, you, you can split some of those benefits with, um, so you can do your thing full time, then go for it. Are, are you guys going to do that thing where you basically live off of one person's income and just literally save and invest everyone, you know, the other person's income? You know, we've talked about that and that, that's something I that's heard on like this. It's like, you know, the whole fire movement type of thing, financial independence, retire early. I've heard either great things about that method or I've heard of absolute horror stories. Yeah. And we're, we're Dave Ramsey light. So I don't know if you're super familiar with Dave Ramsey's baby steps. But oh my gosh. Yeah. Love Dave yeah. Ramsey. Um, but that's, that's kind of the goal is to have, um, uh, our, our debt that we currently do have. It's not a lot, but of course, you know, always chipping away. Are you guys doing snowball or avalanche? So, um, right now with it's, Try snowball. We're doing the snowball effect, but we also were in kind of a weird spot in 2020 where we're, we're getting married and we're in the process of buying a house. So it's, that's why I say Dave Ramsey light. Yeah, I mean, the interest rates are low. So my, oh my gosh, they are so low. If you have been having, if you've been eyeing property, now is the time to buy people seriously. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot to say about the, the fire method. Um, and I've been very fortunate too. I graduated without any student debt because I, I worked so hard when I was in, um, college and in, in, in high school to just save, 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 save. Um, but ultimately my goal is to just have freedom, whether that be financial freedom, whether that be work-life balance, freedom, freedom to move the freedom to travel. Um, so if it's important to you and if it's, if it's a goal of yours, I think people should definitely make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to emphasize that folks, what works for Chloe might not work for you. What works for me might not work for you. I mean, the reason why I still, I like, I like my job. I like, I like working and I like the current environment I'm in. So I don't see a reason to jump, but the one big reason why I want to stay here and why I also want to, you know, work all these extra side jobs myself, which working through home allows me to do is my, my goal is to retire at 45 or Mm, even younger if I possibly could. And the only way I can do that at the current rate I'm going now, unless I can drastically increase my earned income is, you know, I don't have to worry about healthcare because I've got great benefits with that. I have an employee, I have an employer matching 401k, which because I'm a Dave Ramsey fan, I got Chris Hogan's book, Everyday Millionaire. And mm. the matching 401k is what almost all of these middle class millionaires leveraged because what they did was they maxed out their own individual contributions. And they just, you know, invest in some mutual funds and they did that. So that is like my biggest wealth generator right now, that employer matching 401k. So unless something really went south and the newspaper industry died, I'm, I'm going to keep doing that because at the rate I'm going, I think by 45, hopefully I can just say, okay, I'm done. I'm going to live off investments and everything else. I might still work though, but I won't have to work for money. I'll just work because I want to. Absolutely. Or you can volunteer or you could teach or you could, I mean, the the opportunities are endless. And to kind of piggyback off of what you said, I don't think enough young people realize how important it is to max out that employer matching 401k. I mean, it's free money. Come on. It's literally free money. That's what they understand. They always think there's a catch. It's like, no, that's a benefit. They will Mm -hmm. match you dollar for dollar. This is something I did not know existed until I started working here. Um, you should write a blog post and maybe I'll add a little bit to it about like the, like 10 or the eight to 10 money moves millennials need to be making right now. And if folks are still working, still working caveat, if they're still working and they haven't maxed out their 401k right now and their company matches it, then that's like thing number one. Oh, we're going to do it. Okay. And having an emergency fund. That, that emergency fund is key. I have a friend who, I, okay, this is, I know we're kind of off, off on something else, but let's just go with it. Um, yeah. I've, got, I've got a friend. We both graduated from high school in 2013. He has switched his major three times. He will not graduate with his bachelor's until 2021. Oh Took my out gosh. student loans for everything. I got him, I, I, you know, I, like, I like the Robinhood trading app. And folks, yeah. there's a link in Robinhood in the show notes. If you take it, you get a free share and everything from either Apple to Amazon to SiriusXM. Go get your free stock in the show notes. But I got him into it. And 
he started talking about, you know, all the things he wanted to invest in. I talked to him about dividend investing. But then the one thing I realized was, wait a second, now during the pandemic, he's only working 16 hours a week, just a few dollars above minimum wage. So I asked him because I knew about his student loan situation stuff. I was like, hey, have you looked into total money makeover by Dave Ramsey? And he said, I've never heard of that. And then I asked him, okay, man, do you have a savings account? And I shit you not, this is what he told me. I don't have a savings account because by the time I get my money and I spend it, I don't have anything to save. Mm, bless his heart. I, like I, my eyeballs like rolled to the back of my skull. It was one of those moments. Yeah. But he's like, I can't get too mad at him. He grew up in an area where people just live their lives off credit cards. They build up consumer debt that just completely cripples them and they don't save. And somebody, I think it was somebody from Forbes, they wrote an article saying that right now more Americans are holding money in their savings than at any other point in history, excluding maybe like 1981, the first year of Ronald Reagan. And they said that that was selfish because for a lot of them, what they did was they took their stimulus check and they put it into an emergency fund. And here I am thinking, Good. You're telling me people are actually saving cash that they can access anytime? And that they're being financially responsible? I mean, that's baby step number one is having that $1,000 emergency fund. Yeah. It's like, folks, you will never, the government will never ever give you non-taxable money. And no. that's another free piece of advice. If you thought you were going to have to pay taxes on that 1200 congratulations. You don't have to pay taxes on that at all. Happy to be a person to tell you that. But with, with that coming in, like, you know, everything that we've talked about has just really emphasized this. Life doesn't get easier because you can work from home. If anything, your responsibilities, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're remaining an employee, are actually more so than if you were in a traditional office environment. Oh, absolutely. Because you have to be, you have to be so aware of how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, and you're held to a little bit more of a higher standard because you have a little bit more responsibility on your plate and there's more trust put into you um, when you're working from home, especially if you are a full-time employee. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is, you know, gonna quote Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. If you want maximum freedom, it involves a lot of, you know, self-reflection, focus on yourself, get your house in order figuratively and literally, and you can make that happen. This might be, you know, a bad time for many people. I'm not understating that. But if you don't take advantage of these opportunities now, you might never find an opportunity like this down the road. Absolutely agree with you. Perfect. So Chloe, if anyone wants to go ahead and follow you on social media, reach out to your contracting firm, uh, Argo Strategy, how can they do so? Yeah. So easiest way to reach me actually is by email. So Chloe at argostrategy.com is my email, Argo, A-R-G-O strategy, spelled like, you know, English. Um, and then, you know, I'm also all over the internet, uh, Facebook. I'm just at Chloe and Agnos writes Twitter at Chloe and Agnos Remzo and I tweet back and forth all the time. So if you go to his account, you can definitely find me somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'm always happy to 
answer questions about the digital nomad type of lifestyle, um, help anyone out there, whether they're running for office, whether they have a business and they need more leads, they want to make more sales. Uh, that's kind of my wheelhouse, but ultimately, uh, you know, I love helping people solving their complex problems so they can get back to doing what they love to do in their business. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to, hoping to take some more trips, uh, once, you know, the whole travel ban thing has been lifted. I'm, I'm, oh, just, I'm getting, ugh, I'm getting in my horrible. car and I'm just driving. I'm at the point where I just want to do a cross country trip with no destination in mind. Like when I see water in front of me, then I'll turn back. Yeah. I think absolutely. I'm at that point. I just need to get out. But, um, folks, as a, as a friend and as a previous client, I cannot recommend Chloe at, you know, enough. Definitely oh, thank reach you out so to her much. if you need that. Perfect. Well, folks, is this lifestyle for you? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe you want to learn more. Let's go ahead and engage online. Find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Hey Remso, H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. Find me on the Parlor app, just at Remso. I was the first one there. So if Remso 2 pops up, call him a loser. And I'll talk to you next time, folks. <laughs> I'm Remso W. Martinez. You're listening to On the Run. Good night. shows and more from the We Are Libertarians network at wearelibertarians.com.